We have 22 minutes, 21, 20 minutes or so for questions, and I'm happy to take any questions. Uh, I know there's mics up there on the balconies as well, so we'll alternate between the downstairs and the upstairs. That should be a TV series, shouldn't it? Upstairs, downstairs. Um, so those of you with mics, please signal to me that you've given it to somebody and they have a question, okay? If you have a question, just raise your hand. Hello. Yeah, sorry, just where are you? Uh, up there? Up okay. Uh, up uh, there? Yeah. Okay. Hello, Do Dr. Mata. Um, so beyond uh, coming to love yourself and understand yourself and find yourself, is there anything practically you can do in terms of diet or exercise to improve self-soothing? Self-soothing, is that? Yes. Well, let me phrase it differently. I don't talk about self-soothing very much, because self-soothing is really... I mean, I can self-soothe if I'm stressed by watching a lot of television. That's self-soothing. But that's not very good for me. Or I can go on the internet compulsively. I can do that. That's self-soothing. Or I can engage in my shopping addiction. That's self-soothing as well. So I don't think that's what, what you mean. I'm sure that's not what you mean. The issue is not self-soothing, but self-regulation. It's the capacity to be with whatever is stressing you and upsetting you without that driving your behavior, without having to escape from it, without um, having actually to soothe yourself because you actually developed capacity to be with that discomfort. That's self-regulation. And self-regulation, again, is a developmental attribute that ought to happen and does happen uh, when the environment is supportive of it and doesn't happen when it isn't. So the question you're asking now, how's an adult to develop, to develop, do we develop self-regulation? Not so that we never feel discomfort, because we're going to, that's life. Not because we never feel grief, because we're going to, that's life. Not because we never feel pain, we're going to, because that's life. But when, when the grief and the pain arise, and the fear arises, how can we regulate ourselves so that we don't escape in ways that are going to cause us further on? Now, first of all, that's a social question. Eric Fromm, a great social psychologist, pointed out that health is not an individual issue. It's a question to the degree which a society can support people's individual <coughs> healthy development. Um, but on the individual level, well, um, 
therapies of all kinds, good psychotherapy will help regulate, will help develop self-regulation. Um, particular techniques, uh, social activities, meaningful social activities will. Uh, chanting and dancing will. These are ancient human practices, very beneficial and a lot of the I'm sure Mandarin does his rap. A lot of it really is a kind of tribal chanting together. Um, is there anything beyond the e e e EMD EMDR, which is a form of uh, bypassing the conscious brain and getting into the unconscious mode, is a form of therapy. Uh, some people, Darren mentioned this tapping business, which is called EFT, emotional freedom technique. Mindfulness practices that. See, the Buddha was a traumatized child. I don't know if you know his life story, but his mother died when he was a week old. And what did he develop? And then, so he learned that life was suffering. And what method did he develop? He developed a method by which the mind holds you so that you actually can accompany your own suffering. So you can be there in stillness and notice the emotions and notice the impulses, and you just observe them. So it's like a kind of holding of yourself, the way your parents should have held you. So mindfulness practices, yoga, uh, many other techniques. I don't know if I fully answered your question, but there's many, many ways, and there's no one right way for everybody. And sometimes, for some people, for a while, they might need to take medication as well. What, was there a supplement to your question? Um, yeah, I used to be a Tibetan Buddhist monk, so I've done a lot of meditation, I've done a lot of mindfulness, and I've done EMDR, uh, and I've done schema therapy, and I, I notice now that my whole life I've been working with se severe neglect as a child, and I'm still having problems in terms of cognitive processing and, and living a proper life, but I've spent about 30 years trying to um, make myself the best version of myself that I can be. So I was wondering just practically as far as diet, just really practical things. I've, I've done a lot of things. Okay, well practical things. Are you eating in a healthy way? Yes, yes. Okay. Does your body get enough exercise? Yes, I exercise every day. I do yoga. Okay. Do you put I do high-intensity training. Do you uh, put yourself out there in nature at all? Not that much, no. Okay, well you might want to do that. Give okay. you a sense of unity. And this beautiful nature, my God, this country is beautiful nature. Um, do you uh, have any mindfulness? You said you have mindfulness practices? Yes. Any yoga? Uh, I do yoga every evening. Yeah. And let me ask you a question. However old, you're, however old you are now, if you compare yourself to 10 years ago, how are you doing? Mm. Which self would you rather be? That depends on what's going on economically and in my love in life. In, in general? I'm a variable entity. You know, when, when, stuff, when stuff hits me, I sometimes crumble, no matter how much work I've done, which is very frustrating to me. So would you not agree that you're somewhat ahead of where you were 10 years ago? No, I, I would be lying if I said that. Right now, standing here, I am, but that's only because my external world is, is doing well. And my external world is going yeah, well. Yeah, look, so I got news for you. 
Uh, I've written my own epitaph, you know. On my grave it's going to be inscribed. It was a lot more work than I had anticipated. <laughs> it's going to go on, buddy. And it's a process. But I do suggest something for you. Don't, make, don't try and don't work at making yourself into your best possible version of yourself. Don't do that. Work at accepting yourself the way you are. And uh, make friends with those parts of you that you don't like. Find out why they came along, what role they played in your life, why they supported you when you were younger. And then get them to relax, because they don't need to be so active anymore. Okay, other questions or comments? Uh, Hello? Yes? I just um, need to... My just, question is... Um, just, just do something, up jump up and down, I just want to see you. Do you want me to stand up? Up there somewhere? I'm here. It's hopeless. Oh, that way, okay, sorry. Okay, yeah, would you mind standing up? I am. Oh, you are standing up. Okay. All right, great. Please. Hello, my name is Anish. Hi. And um, my question is about climate change. I'm climate change, yeah. yeah. I'm currently at the moment writing about climate change refugees in that we're not even allowed to recognize them as that because of the Refugee Convention 1951. How do you see this movement of ACEs in supporting, which is what's going to be a worldwide phenomena of refugees, which are going to be spreading across the world? They're already spreading in America with their own country. So how can we on the ground support these people against a political backdrop that is not supporting them and that is not recognizing them? Yeah. So look. Um... <clears throat> I, I don't know if I can answer your question, but let me, let me tell you what I'll say in response. But I don't think it's going to be an adequate answer. It's not just climate refugees. As you know, there's a huge international refugee problem these days. And, 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 and Europe, particularly, is after some initial very positive and very generous responses, particularly, say, in Germany and other countries, Scandinavian countries, to the refugee problem, is now is now entrenched in, 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 in keeping people out. And all this is based on the idea that there is them and there is us. Yes. Okay? Now, where are these countries that these people are coming from? Their countries... Look, I was in the, your beautiful museum. Is it the Kelvin Grove Museum? That's how that it's called. And there's a plaque there. There was a plaque in that museum. I was there. On, I was, I, I was, my wife and I spent almost the whole day there. We could spend another three days. There was a plaque there honoring some Scottish people who died on the banks of the Indus River in India in 1840-something. Now, Suzanne this morning talked about the harsh way in which Dundee, her city, was industrialized in the 19th century. What were 600 Scottish soldiers and their wives and their officers doing on the banks of the Andes? Of the Indus, I'm sorry. The Indus River in India. 
What were they doing there? They were there dying for the sake of the British Empire and the British uh, power and, and the wealth of the, uh, the British India Company or whatever it was called. And who are these refugees that are coming to us now from Latin America, from places like in North America, with Trump building this wall and so on? Who are these people? They're coming from countries that the U.S. has traumatized yes. and macerated for hundreds of years, where they supported dictatorial, murderous regimes, as in Ecuador, murder regimes, terror regimes. In Guatemala, the same thing. In Colombia. Did you know that in the 1990s, there were 100,000 Guatemalan peasants massacred by the Guatemalan army? Did you know that? You didn't know it because your press doesn't talk to you about it. Look it up. So who are these refugees, whether from Africa or Latin America, or, or Asia, when they're coming from the Middle East now. Who created the problems in the Middle East? The empires of the French will... and the British and now the Americans. Not, not to mention the horrors that have been visited upon the Palestinians over the last several decades. You know? And then we talk about the refugee problem as if it had nothing to do with us. Exactly. So what I'm saying to you is the same thing with the climate change. As long as there's a system and an ideology that says that there's them and there's us, there's no solution to the problem. And in terms of somebody like yourself and anybody else who wants to do something about it, all I can say to you is keep doing what you're doing in the face of all that works against you and don't take it personally and don't take it all on is a job that you're going to have to finish, because you're not going to finish it. No. But without your contribution, it's going to be so much worse. That's the best I can tell you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, wherever the mic is. Yeah? Hello. Hi. Hello. Um, I was wondering if you give some advice on how to get to forgiveness. Like that man up there, I've been working on myself for years and I'm now working on just accepting what is and what isn't. But I understand that my residual anger from the past has caused me physical and mental disease and I'd like to get to forgiveness, but I'm finding it difficult. How, what would you advise to, to do to get there? Okay, so you're angry at certain people in your life? In the past, yeah. Yeah, sorry? In the past, from the past, that's caused the issues through my life that I've now kind of let go of. Yeah. But there's still the anger there. So are there certain people in your life that you'd like to forgive? Yes. Okay. Well, so there are certain, depends how you want to go about it. There are certain spiritual forgiveness practices. For example, in the Tibetan tradition, Tibetan Buddhist tradition. You could explore them and, and, and just practice them and see what happens after a month or two of forgiveness practices. I've never gone that route personally, and I'll tell you why not. Because I don't believe in working at forgiving anything. I think what actually, um, forgiveness happens. What if you heal? You really worked on your self-healing. And you realize that there's nothing wrong with you. If there's nothing wrong with you, then nobody did you any harm. And if nobody did you any harm, there's nothing to forgive. So ultimately, the way to real forgiveness, I think, is through self-healing. Where forgiveness 
See, as long as I say I forgive you, it means I haven't forgiven you at all. So, so the way to forgive forgiveness uh, now, you can also actually look at those people's lives, and you realize that whatever they did, they were totally unconscious when they did it. They didn't because they they were bad people, because they were mean people, because they meant to hurt you. I mentioned to you that I was going to say, uh, bring up a very tragic example from North America. They, if I look at in 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 Canada, I'm speaking of Canada right now. Uh, the native population um, makes up 4% of 5% of the Canadian population. They make up 25% of the jail population. The same thing is true in Australia, of course. Um, and in the downtown east side, they made up 30% of my clients in the downtown east side. And if you go to native communities in Canada right now, it's really horrendous. The amount of sexual abuse that happens. The, the lateral violence, the addictions, the mental illness, and so on. It's, it's terrible. And this is in a society that prior to the Caucasians knew exactly how to parent their kids. They didn't even hit their kids. But why are they doing that? It's because the colonial system traumatized them so much. Because for a hundred years, their children were abducted from the parents and forcibly sent to these residential schools where they were sexually and physically abused in the name of all manner of Christian denominations. And so those parents lost their traditional capacity to parent and now they're doing it to their kids. Well, who are we going to blame here? So if you actually get that, that if you really get that all this suffering that we pass on and impose on others is really unconscious. Look at the British upper class. Who's the, um, who's the great um, spy novelist? N not only Ian Fleming, but uh, John le Carré. I read an interview with him where he said that you could be standing next to a member of the British upper class and they could be having a nervous breakdown and you wouldn't know it. <laughs> and of course, if you look at the schooling these people received, the so-called public schools, where they were really abused and sodomized and, and, and hurt in all kinds of ways and taught to keep a stiff upper lip. That was necessary for the maintenance of the empire. That's how these people go out there without any feeling whatsoever and massacre the natives of any country they went to if they had to. That's why they could do that. Not because they were inherently bad people, by the way. So if you understand that evil doesn't exist as an absolute entity, but it's an emanation of the traumatized human unconscious, maybe you can think of it that way. That would help you forgive the people in your life. They didn't mean to hurt you. That wasn't their intention. Having said that, the real forgiveness, as I said earlier, is in the self-healing. Okay? Thank you. Thank you. Up here. Okay. Hello, can you hear me? Uh, let me just check the timing, okay? Three minutes, okay. Hi there. Hi. And where uh, are you? Sir? Hello, sir. Up here. There, okay. Great. Welcome to Glasgow. Um, I've got a question about who you're reading just now because I'm hearing quite a strong thread about um, object relations springs to mind as I'm listening to you talk. So it makes me wonder who you're reading. 
So I'm sure that was a great question if I only understood a word of it. <laughs> so, so, somebody tell me what was that? Okay, I'll try and slow it down perhaps. Um, yes. What, what books am I reading? Well, yes, yes, please. I religiously read my own books, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, what books am I reading? Um, I'm reading a lot of books right now because I'm, I'm, um, I'm writing a new book of my own, as I mentioned, uh, The Myth of Normal, um, which will be published in England or, or in, U, in the UK in, in two years. Um, <clears throat> one of my great teachers is a man called the A.H. Almas, A-L-M-A-A-S. He's kind of a spiritual teacher and psychologist combined. Beautiful insights about human development. Um, I'm reading a, a book called Can Democracy Survive Capitalism um, by an American writer. Um, I'm reading um, a book called The Myth of Mental Illness by Hungarian born like myself, American psychiatrist called Thomas Sass. Um, I'm reading a book by Alan Shore, who is the leading theorist of, uh, of, um, of um, what happens to the human brain in development as a result of disturbed attachment relationships, particularly what happens to self-regulation. Um, his most recent book is called, I think, The Development of the Human Unconscious, something like that. I'm reading that. Um, I recommend the books of Dr. Dan Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L, on, on, on human development, on, on mindfulness, on the brain and on the mind. Um, gosh, I could go on and on and on, but these are some of the people that I read all the time. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, um, well, I think that's about it. Um, I have, I'll take one more question, and I'll tell you one more thing, and that'll be it, yeah. So, where? Here? Somewhere? Oh, right. So. There? Do you have the mic? Can I ask one last question? Is there so enough time you? for one? Just at the back, in this corner. Over there? Okay, hi. Yeah. Thank you so much. For, um, it's been really amazingly let me just educational. Let me come a bit closer, okay? Yeah, please go ahead. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about buffering, because we talk a lot about buffering in Scotland and as part of this movement. Buffering, is it? Yeah, so yes. we talk about one good adult being really important for children. Yeah. Um, when they're going through trauma to have someone to talk to and I met a psychologist yesterday who said we shouldn't be thinking about adversity we should be thinking about buffering and just that one good adult who can help to deal with that and yet when you answered questions earlier you were quite um, pointedly saying who did you tell and did you tell someone who could do something about it? Um, and so my question is, what is the science? Is it saying that all we need to do is tell someone about the trauma we're going through as children? Um, or does that person need to have the power to do something about it? Because we're setting up the situation for 
all sorts of people, including myself, who yeah. has a professional role but is also a parent and yeah. involved in parent groups. Um, you know, if, if there was a child protection issue that was coming up, I'm just really interested to understand what is the science? Is buffering enough or do we need to be thinking about access, um, action and how to set up policies better for action? And as I say, I talk about, I talk from mostly personal experience, but also um, at, as a professional. Okay, well, thank, thank you. you. I, th I think I get the question. So um, I was listening to um, um, Harry um, Burns' uh, TED talk yesterday, which <clears throat> is really worth seeing. And um, he was talking about this as well. Um, and he gives the answer that I'm going to give you. The Swiss psychotherapist, uh, Alice, Swiss-German psychotherapist, Alice Miller, who was the first one really to bring childhood trauma to broad public attention, I think, in her book, um, The Drama of the Gifted Child, which is a much better German title. It was called in German, Prisoners of Childhood. It's about how basically when it happens to us a child that keeps us prisoners and into adulthood and to be liberators. But in one of her books, she asked the very same question that you just asked, which is basically, what is it that happens when two children have similar experiences and one of them is okay, the other one is not? And she said that what makes a difference is what she calls the presence of an empathetic witness. Empathetic witness is not necessarily somebody who can change a sad situation. But somebody can listen to the child and validate the child's feelings. The child gets traumatized, no one bad things happen to them, but when they're left alone with their feelings, they're made to feel that it's their fault. So even if you can be present as an empathetic witness, that can make an enormous difference into that individual's trajectory over the long term. If somebody validated me, somebody listened to me, somebody thought it was worthwhile, somebody said I wasn't crazy, Somebody said that my story was important enough to be listened to. That makes a huge difference. Now, in terms of intervention, that's a whole other kettle of fish, if I might say. Sometimes, of course, you have to intervene. If a child is in physical danger or being sexually abused, I mean, you just have to intervene. But I'm telling you something. Um, in terms of intervention and the care system, and I'm speaking from my experience in Canada and North America, and I'm pretty sure it's the same here as well, it's how we intervene that makes the difference. When we see a child in trouble, who's really being hurt at home, or in an environment where they exist, and we're impelled, or perhaps even compelled by law to intervene, that's fine. But number one, who are we being when we intervene, and how do we intervene? What if we intervene? Let's say a child is being abused by a parent. Let's say that. And let's say we have to separate that parent from that child for a while, just for the child's physical protection. Are we doing it with empathy and compassion for the parent? Or are we doing it punitively? Are we doing it judgmentally? Or doing it with, with the understanding that this parent is only doing what was done to them. 
Are we doing it with the understanding that the child still is attached to that parent and wants to be? And therefore, are we going to say to the parent, listen, right now, I can't leave this child with you. It's not safe for him. But I know that you're not a bad person. And I know that you're actually doing your best. <coughs> and I want to help you reunite with your child as soon as that's at all feasible. And in the meantime, I want you to see your child, maybe under supervised conditions, as early as possible. And above all, I want to help you become the parent that I'm sure you want to be. What if we intervene that way? Instead of these separations and arbitrary rules and harsh tones and, and punitive attitudes. So yes, sometimes we have to intervene, but it makes a difference who we are being when we intervene. And for that, we have to deal with our own rage, and our own upset, and our own judgment which is always about ourselves and not about the other person. Okay? Thank, Thank you. you. All right, well, I know I'll have a chance to come back and say a few final words, so uh, now it's, I think, is the panel going to come on right now? Or? So thank you. I'll see you in a little while. Thank you. Thank you.